until the end of the chapter in Hebrews 10 and it says therefore brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled and cleansed from the conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to one another towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated him as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them? The blood of the covenant that sanctified them. And who has insulted the spirit of grace? We know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endured in great conflict, full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourself had better and larger possessions. So do not throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteousness, one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So we get some context for our verse, the beginning of Hebrews 10, the other nine, 18 verses, talks about how Christ is the perfect sacrifice for us and how he exceeds the old system of sacrifice. Um, and those of us, we're here today because we believe that. We have entered into his kingdom. We are the sort of people the writer of Hebrews is talking to. We've been around a while. We're probably struggling a little bit sometimes. As life goes on, we all face different struggles and we need to persevere through them. Verses 23 to 25, which are the ones we usually quote about church, are 
the, the writer's hopeful response. In response to our faith, in response to what God has done, we will continue to meet together, encourage one another as we see the day drawing near and hang on to our faith. That's his hopeful response. He then says, now it's possible in his view to turn from salvation. And then he says, you really don't want to do that. It's not a good thing to hang, fall into the hands of, a, of an angry God. In the Old Testament, people died on the, on the word of three witnesses because they broke the law of Moses over stone. How much more severe is it going to be for those of us who ignore Christ and what he's done for us after we've accepted it, after we've turned from him? And when you're worried that you're going to fail, he wants us to remember our past, how we were when we first tasted God's grace, how enthusiastic we were, how motivated we were to get out there and do stuff because of our faith. He says that's how we will hang on to the as we struggle through the trials today. And he closes it with saying, it's tough and you need to endure. You can't give up. It goes on like Paul has, Paul has the illusion of a race in other passages where he says, you've got to keep running. You've got to make it to the end line. It's no good to run half a race and then give up. So we need to endure. So let's go... That was the summary of what, what, what the verse is about. So we start off by saying, we're all saved by grace. We're only here because of what Christ has done for us. And we need to keep remembering that. Um, it's Christ's work, not ours. And we can hold on to hope because the hope is unwavering because it's a promise made by God. It's not a promise by, by us. It's not dependent on our will to hang on to God. That's not what's keeping us there. It's God's willingness to hold on to us that we can hold on to. And there's lots of reason we can we can waver in our faith, especially if we've been faithful for a long time. It no longer feels quite as good as when I first believed. I hear a lot of you guys who didn't come from Christian families, you've had this great transformational experience when you became Christians and life was fantastic. And then 20 years went by, or maybe a bit more, and it's not quite so new anymore. It's not quite so energising. It's like, oh, man... Then we all age, unfortunately, and life's hard. It's harder to get out of bed. It's harder to ignore the incredible noise that went on last night when we try and sleep. Um, but I made it here anyway. Um, we have struggles. It gets harder at work. Maybe someone doesn't like the fact that you believe in God. And so persecution arrives. It just gets harder. And sometimes we just get weary. It's a long race. It's a long stretch, and we need to keep going. Why is it so hard to read? I normally read it on the ground. <laughs> I put it on the stand. No, no, if I put it too... I can't read it there, Ed. Okay. There you go. I just went to the optometrist, and he said my eyes were fine. He said they haven't got any worse. <laughs> well, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, so maybe that's not going to be. Maybe your writing's got more. <laughs> yeah, maybe I wrote too small. So, the Hebrews that, that the writer was addressing were, were struggling to hang on. I mean, they, they're expecting Jesus to come any time, and he hasn't arrived. They're still waiting. And they were expecting him tomorrow or the day after. Tomorrow or the day after came, and they're saying, oh, 
it's become a long time, it's starting to weary. And he's saying, I don't want you to do that. When you're weary, draw near to God. Spend some time, work out how to draw near to Him. And I don't know how you draw near. Over the years I've met lots of different people and they draw near in different ways. Uh, one of my old friends, he wanted to pray. He, could only, he found he could only pray while he walked. He couldn't sit down and pray because he fell asleep. He didn't want to do that. So he would get up and walk. So every morning he'd get up and he'd walk to pray because that helps him focus. Other people I've met focus by listening to uh, Christian songs or music. They obviously didn't grow up when I grew up and the Christian songs were woeful when I grew up. They were really terrible. Um, at least compared to the secular music. Although nowadays you've got a lot more choice. Um, and a lot of the music is much more interesting. Colin Buchanan is certainly much more interesting. Um, so there's... I don't know how you focus on God. I guess some people do it by working on art, trying to draw their impression of the scripture or whatever. However you do it, he wants us to draw close to him. He wants us to find ways to draw close to him. And in 24 and 25, we're told to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now, when he's addressing the religion, it's not just the job of the leaders in the church to stimulate people to love and good deeds. It's actually your job to stimulate people to love and good deeds. The people you know, the people you assemble with, the people you're close to, because you know them. It's actually really hard to encourage people and stimulate them to love and good deeds if you don't know them. You can say things, but it doesn't mean anything. It's like someone you don't know walks up to you and says, that was really good. Okay, whatever. I don't, know, I don't find that encouraging. But someone who knows me gets, comes up to me and says, I actually really enjoyed that talk or I enjoyed what you did and here's the reason why. That's more encouraging because I know that they also come up and tell me, that was shocking, but you shouldn't do that. Because they know me. Um, so it's best to, for us to be doing it now. Stimulating one another to love, that's pretty tough. Sometimes it means, I think, telling someone when they're not being loving, when the way they're acting isn't loving. Because we don't always know. Most of us believe we're doing the right thing. We're pretty good people. We think we're doing the right thing. But it's easy when we're upset or hurt to be unloving. Maybe we just need occasionally to have that behaviour challenge. Stimulating people with good deeds. Do we talk about what we do? We don't generally talk a lot about our good deeds or what we don't do. We don't often talk about our opportunities that we bypass. Um, and maybe we should try and do that a little bit more. And it says it wants us to not give up assembling together. It wants us to make a commitment to assemble together. And that doesn't mean just turning up. It doesn't mean just turning up on a Sunday. That's, it's a commitment to come here to encourage your brothers and sisters around you, to be part of encouraging their walk with God, to be, and to be encouraged, to open yourself up enough so that others can encourage you. As Australians, we're not really great at talking about deep and meaningful stuff, or maybe that's just the men in the room, I don't know. Um, we tend to talk about just about anything, the fireworks, the ball, the driving, the sport. We don't normally talk about how we interact with God over the week. That's, that's a serious conversation. It's like talking about politics. We don't want to do that. Um, we'll often rush around, we'll be busy, 
we'll, we'll turn up, or I'm set off to, to turn up on Sundays. In fact, that's what I used to do. I turn up right on time to start. Get frustrated that we didn't start on time. Not here, but at the last church I was at. Um, <laughs> sit there, drum on my fingers for 15 minutes till we actually started. And as soon as we finished, I'd be out the door. Because I'd done my bit, I'd been to church, and I was, I'd done, that church was an hour, and it wasn't until someone at that church pointed out to me that the church was about God meeting with people, and the meeting with people took time, and you couldn't always schedule it. And maybe if I was giving God my Sunday, I needed to give him a little bit more than that hour and a bit that I was scheduling in. I got a lot of stuff done, because I was great at scheduling. But, so at that stage, I started saying, okay, if Sunday's God's, I won't schedule it. So I was much more patient after I got there. We didn't start on time. It's God's day. That's fine. Um, and I started saying to people, actually, this is God's day, so I will arrive at your place when I sort of arrive because church is happening and sometimes church goes on and on. Sometimes there's conversations after church and they go on and on. Um, because I wanted to prioritise meeting with the people I was with. And I think we need to make those choices because assembling together is not just here. It's also the Bible Bible, or Bible studies, home groups, whatever we're going to call them at the moment. And I was the same there. I'd turn up and I'd be prepared to do the study and then I'd be prepared to go home and go to bed. But that's, that didn't work so well. So I wasn't so good at committing those times. Bed's really important to me. But Sundays is definitely... We need to work at assembling together and our commitment to... So, I always like to think of my commitment. There's a section in Malachi, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, where it likens their sacrifices. I'm not happy... God's saying through his prophet Malachi, I'm not happy with your sacrifices when you offer the blind and the lame. Try offering those to your boss. Try offering those to the governor of the state and see how they react. And this is this time when the governor could basically throw you in jail for no reason at all, other than the fact that he was the governor. In Australians, we don't react very well to authority. We don't have a good picture of authority, so we're not really good at that picture. But I like to think, is my commitment to church the same as my commitment to work? Am I willing to... Would I be willing to treat my boss the way I turn up to work? Now... As I say, Australians aren't good with authority. A lot of people, like I've got guys at work who turn up at 12 o'clock in the middle of the day. They work till 12, 8, but they, they miss the overlap with all these people. They open their phones up all day. Uh, you know. So they're not great. And our, and our structures, authority structures aren't geared to doing anything about that. That's possibly just my workplace. But would God be happy with the commitment that you have to meeting together with your brothers and sisters? Would that keep you employed? And if not, think about what, what commitment you're willing to have. And one of the exercises I did years ago when I had to go to some psychologist after I had my stroke, because life was suddenly at 38 I was, had a stroke and suddenly I'm old. Because only old people have strokes. Um, so it's, it was a real concern, so they sent me off to this psychologist dude and they sent me off to this course. And um, one of the things they said, they suggested you do is you write down the equipment and then, because we're so good at excuses, write down all the excuses you might use not to keep them. <laughs> you know the excuses you use. I'm too busy, I'm too tired, my little toe hurts. Yeah, whatever it is, 
write them down in advance so that when you start making them go, ah, oh, that's spicy. Sometimes there are reasons. Like when we first had kids, we would, we would occasionally be late. That was a reason because we didn't understand what it was like, you know, getting all the kids, you could get nappies in the car and food in the car and the kids in the car oh, and change the kids in there. Um, really easy to be late. It's, an, it's a reason when it happens the first few times. If I'd let it go on, it would have been an excuse. All it meant was, May and I had to get up an extra half hour early and start the trip to church a little bit earlier in order to get the kids in, the nappies in, change the kids, um, in order to get here on time, because it was our commitment to be on time. Admittedly, that's more my commitment, I like to be on time. But, so write down, physically write down the excuses you're most likely to use to avoid this commitment. It's very interesting. When you start using it, say, oh, actually, I recognise this is an excuse. <laughs> is it excuse? So, give that a try. And when you arrive, look for opportunities to encourage people. Don't be like me and look for opportunities to leave early. Look for opportunities to encourage people. Try and have conversations that allow you to find out where people are at. And be willing to spend some time on that. It might be you don't get to talk to 20 people in the morning. Maybe you'll only talk to one of us. But that's okay, it's a real conversation. Not every conversation has to be real. It'd be really tiring if every conversation you had on a Sunday morning was real. But it'd be tiring for me. Maybe, but try and have at least one real conversation with someone about where they're at, where you're at, um, and how you can encourage one another. And try and do that, especially in home groups. If you're part of a home group, that's the real point, I think, where it's time to get real about our lives and talk about true things. It's a bit harder on Sundays, we've got things going on. And while we can do it, home groups is really the place where pastoral care and pastoral growth, I see, is, is the place where it's there. Where you get to know people, where can, people can look at you, they, they see you consistently, they can see when you're lying, they can see your body language saying, actually, I don't want to talk about this, this is uncomfortable. Can we talk about something else, please? Because often we don't want to talk about when we know maybe we're not as square with God as we should be. We're trying to avoid those topics because that makes us uncomfortable. And people who want to talk about those topics make us feel uncomfortable too, because then we have to talk about it. So... If we can get a group, I'd really like us to see this year, to see more of us in home groups. Um, I'm talking to myself as well. We've we had a break from home groups since we had family because they all start at 7.30 at night. My kids go to bed at 7.30 at night. Um, so it, it hasn't worked for us um, over the last couple of years. My son's now older. Daughter's almost old enough to go to bed later than 7.30. Almost. Um, so... We're, we're hoping to find a group that will lead in a family-friendly time um, so we can meet with them as well. Maybe my, by group I might need two people, one family, two people. <laughs> not, not, not a big group. But we will all, our faith will all waver. We'll always waver. My faith wavers, wavers when I see my mum who's got dementia. What is God doing? It's, and it's a tough, we all face that sort of thing. There's no explanation. It's not, well, unless God grants you special insight, it's not, it's something we just have to struggle with. And it says, well, sometimes, why is it, why am I, why am I doing this? I'm a good person, but my mum's a good person, she's been faithful all her life, 
now she's stuck with dementia. What's the point of all this? Or maybe it's just hard to get up. And the writer says, think back to when you first, first came to God. Think back to the enthusiasm. Think back to the things you did. Not to want to do them again, but at the faith that motivated you to do them. Think back to your motivations. What's, what spurred you to do that? Remember that. Remember the claims that God has made to us so that we can hang on to our faith. Now, I don't want to go into the discussion about whether we can leave our faith or not. It's a, it's a long, involved discussion, lots of passages. I've always found it best to assume that you can. It's always be- I've always found it best to assume that I can make a mistake that will lead me away from God. Because that makes me more conscious of my decisions. I'm less careless about that. And if it turns out I'm wrong and God says, no, once you're mine, you can never leave, I'm happy to be wrong there. That's okay. But I'd hate to think, oh, anything I do, I can't be thrown out of God's kingdom. That's fine. And find I was wrong that way. That would be bad. So, we need, and you'll see people over your time if you haven't already, people who look like they're faithful people who've got a history and then somehow they walk away from God for whatever reason. And we don't want to be like that. We've got to guard our faith. It doesn't just happen. People who walk away have let something go. They let a chink in their armour, and that's, that chink's gradually growing on and growing, and the wedge is pushed in an area. Find out where your weakness are. Don't give up. We've got to... That'll be different from all of us, but that's why we need other people to encourage us and know us and say, oh, Jeff, you're just going down that road again. I've seen you down. You probably want to pull back. Maybe he needs to say that to me. And we need to focus on enduring. Never, certainly we should never tell Christians that, that people who aren't Christians that when you become a Christian, everything's easy, because it's not. It's a long race. More life than more marathon. And we'll all be running it, and sometimes it feels like it's uphill. Sometimes we need to focus on enduring. And as we get older, and it gets harder and harder to do stuff, we can limit our control, limit our view to holding on to our faith. As it says in it's the Song of... Is it Ecclesiastes where it talks about the grasshopper? Yeah. Ecclesiastes. Where it talks about the grasshopper dying. And it's talking about ageing. It's harder and harder as you get older to do, to do stuff. And as it gets harder and harder to do stuff, it's okay because being a Christian is not about doing stuff. It's our response to faith. As it gets harder and harder, we've got to focus on holding on to Jesus. Not holding on to being able to do stuff. Not holding on to being able to impress you all with how often I turn up to church on time. It's about holding on to God. About holding on to the faith and remembering that we're only saved through Him. Even if we can't actually do anything. And that's tough for those of us who've been Christians a long time and who've been very active and suddenly your world's more and more limited because you can't do all that stuff. And you see stuff in the church that they're doing it, and you can't do it anymore because you can't find the hours in the day. You've got to walk an hour and a half a day because otherwise you get heart problems. And that's okay. God is in control. We have to focus on enduring and holding on to God. And it's easy to say, in our culture of doing stuff and being self-reliant and looking after ourselves, it's difficult to remember. 
difficult to take on the help a more help prescribe. Maybe it's, it's difficult to stop being active and say, oh, I'll pray. If I can't, if I can't get out and paint walls, I'll, I'll pray instead. Praying is a bit, you know, it's not sort of solid something. It's highly rated within the Bible, but within our culture it's often really difficult to do. So all I did was pray. But maybe that's all you were supposed to do. Because like Ruben said, we're all a bit of control freaks. We like to be in control. We like to fix things. We like to manage things. Prayer is giving those things over to God. And that's pretty tough. And so, hold on to your faith. When you assemble together, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Consider your commitment to assembling together in 23. We're going to face the struggles in 23 as we try to find a pastor if that's what we choose to do. And it's, yeah, we're going to have to keep going on that. When you turn up here, seek to encourage one another. And remember the motivation for all the activities of the past. Remember your faith. Remember what God has done for you. And hang on and endure till the end. And that's the end. Thanks, guys. Thank you.